Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good morning, church family. I want to welcome you. I want to welcome those who are joining us online. My name is Rick Thompson. I'm the pastor here at Living Water Community Church. And we are starting a series that you might not have guessed that we are calling This Is War. This Is War. And what you just heard was the theme song of the U.S. Air Force. Now, full disclosure, um, I was in the Air Force. I, was, I did six years as a, a reserve active, uh, reserve uh, unit, and then two years inactive, and so a total of eight years. My son did many years in the U.S. Air Force. He's a, he's a veteran. And so I figured that would be a good one to start with in terms of just starting off this message. Now, some, some history regarding the, the Air Force, the U.S. Air Force, it's one of eight of the uniformed services of the United States. It was originally created on August, uh, in August um, 1907 as part of the United States Army Signal Corps. The U.S. Air Force was established as a separate branch of the United States Army Forces in 1947. It's the second youngest branch of the United States Armed Forces and the fourth in the order of precedence. Along with conducting independent air operations, the United States Air Force provides air support for land and naval forces and aids in the recovery troops in the field. As of 2017, the service operates more than, listen to this, 5,369 military aircraft. Might be a little bit less than that after Afghanistan. Uh, 406 ICBMs, which is Intercontinental Ballistic Missiles. It's got the world's largest air force, and it has about a, a budget of a one, uh, $156 billion budget. That's billion with a B. And it's the second largest service branch of the U.S. Armed Forces. It has 329, over 329,000 active duty airmen, 172,000 more than that civilian, 69,000 reservists, and 107,000 Air National Guard. Now, if you didn't know this, their motto is, uh, who, who knows what the motto is? What does it say? Aim high, aim high. But they, they also have aim high, flight, fly, fight, and win. Aim high, fly, fight, and win. win. That was adopted in 2010, and it's both a call to action, aim high, and a promise in response to fly, fight, and win. Now, you might ask yourself, why do we have eight uniform services? Why do we need that? Well, because the overall objective of, of all the military is to obtain peace through strength, peace through strength. In other words, the mentality of the United States is if you're going to mess with us, you're going to have a bad day. Come on, somebody. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be highlighting each of the branches of our military as we, if we have time. And we're going to be looking at their mottos and their missions and see how it correlates and integrates with what the Word of God says concerning what our mission is. And, and, and mandates should be. Because if you look in the scripture, especially in Ephesians chapter 8, it makes it abundantly clear, abundantly clear that whether we know it or not, we're in a spiritual war. We're in a war. And it's a, it's a spiritual war. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 says this. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, he says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to do what? To stand. To stand. 
And so it doesn't say if the day of evil will come. It says when the day of evil comes. And unfortunately, so many in the church are acting as if we're not in some kind of spiritual conflict. It just reminds me of what's going on in the world today. We've got a country who has sent spy balloons overhead several times. They are, you know, whatever, whatever you think I, think, I think, I think that plague came out of one country in particular. I think that all of our resources in terms of uh, medical, many of our medical, they're buying up farmland, and, and they, they've declared an unofficial war against us. But if you, if you pretend like we're not at war, when that day of evil comes, you're going to be in trouble. Come on, somebody. And so the Bible says the same thing spiritually. If you are walking around this planet acting like you're not in the battle, when the scripture plainly tells you you're in the battle, when that day of evil comes your way, not if, you are going to be in trouble. And so he says to take to, that, 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 that therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. And that indeed is what we must do. We must stand. That's why God has uniquely empowered us to do just that. He did not leave us without defenses. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to come back to this, but he says, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world, but on the contrary, they have what? Divine power to do what? To demolish strongholds. To demolish strongholds. And so that's what God has given us. He's given us weapons that we might fight the battles around us and not just to to, to put it off, he says, no, we can take it to the enemy if we would just do what he says. Now, we need to understand if, uh, um, that a, a few principles must be put in place if we're going to win the battles or even win the war that is set out before us. Number one, we, we, if we're going to aim high, fly, fight, and win, we do that, and this is your first fill-in, by trusting the instruments, by trusting the instruments. And by what instruments I'm talking about, I'm just letting you know, but whatever instruments God has given us, particularly the Word of God. Now, I came across an article online, and it says some of the troubles that pilots have are a thing called vertigo and SD. I'll explain it in a moment. It says, vertigo is a false sense of movement causing confusion, disorientation, and eventually incapacitation, according to the FAA. Vertigo and spatial disorientation, spatial disorientation is SD, contribute to, listen, 15% of accidents. 15% of accidents to typically at night or in instrument meteorological, say that fast, conditions, or IMC, they call it for short, all right? Basically, it's when there's you know, weather out there or you're in a cloud or you're in a storm situation. It goes on to say most are fatal and experienced pilots are not immune, okay? The U.S. Air Force investigated 633 crashes between 1980 and 89, and it referenced SD, spatial disorientation, in 13% of the cases. Non-instrument rated pilots have a life expectancy, listen, of less than three minutes in an IMC situation, probably because of SD. It goes on to say another illusion convinces pilots that they are inverted after a high-performance climb, and after leveling off, a lightness in one seat is felt while con contemporaneous seat belt pressure caused by continued acceleration, induces continued pitch increase, eventually transitioning to the sensation of inversion. And so let me just break that down for you. What happens is they get into a, a, into a, a flight situation where it's either dark out at, at nighttime or they, or they fly into a cloud situation or it's storming. And because of the equilibrium in their ears or because they can no longer see what's going on, they get this sensation that they are flipping over or they're flying inverted because they can't see. 
And rather than looking at their instruments and trust, trusting it, they trust their feelings and they start to correct themselves. And in correcting themselves, listen to me, they become uh, disoriented. And in at least 13 to 15 percent of the cases, the, 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 this article says it ends up in a crash and someone dies. Now, like I said last week, if you're going to w- walk through this life just going by your feelings, you're going to crash and burn. You're going to crash and burn. And so the article went on to say the solution to this problem is for the, them to train themselves mentally to disconnect any ears or eye sensations and observe strictly the instrument's inputs in front of them. In other words, turn this off and just look at that. Look at what's in front of you because your feelings are going to cause you to crash. Listen to me. God knows who he wants you to marry. Come on, somebody. God knows where he wants you to go to school. He he knows the the job or career he created you to, 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 to be good at. He knows the plans that he has for you in the future. And so if you're going strictly on the way that you are feeling through this life, you are going to be flying blind to God's plans in your lives. Jeremiah 29, 11, we all know it. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to do what? Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God's plans for you are good. When it comes to your life and mine, he's got a plan. And so he's asking us to trust his, the instruments, trust his word, trust the Holy Spirit in your life, not just go by your feelings. Why? Because your feelings will lie. Secondly, in order for us to realize his plan to aim high, fly, fight, and win, we have to do that through prayer and praise as well. We have to take the time to get into a space with God where we can talk to him and he can talk back with us. Jeremiah 29, 12, we very seldom go to that verse and it says this, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will do what? I will listen to you. I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with half of your heart. I'm just seeing if you're paying attention. You will seek me and find me when you go all in with me. That's why in the, with the baptism, we tell them, are you, are you ready to commit your life to Jesus? Yes, then make a video say, I'm all in for Christ. Because it's the all in people who get to, who get to, the, to, to, to discern the will of the Father in their lives. God is not playing hide and go seek with your life. He's just looking for serious. And when you become serious with him, he says, I'll become serious with you. If you want to know my plans for you, which are good, pleasing, and perfect in terms of your future, he says, give me all your heart. He says, call on me and pray to me. And he says, I will listen. So prayer and praise is the key. It basically opens up communication with the Father who promises that if we seek him, we will find him if we give him everything, as opposed to those who will presume, presume on the future. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, James, he kind of, in the book of James, he encapsulates it in 4 verse 13. He says, look here, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town and we're going to stay there a year. We'll do business there and make a profit. How, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or do that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. 
And so I started thinking. We took the, the kids to the zoo in West Palm. And we went down this one area where there's a butterfly path, and it looked like it was some kind of memorial because they had people's names, and it was devoted to this person and that person, and it looked like it was people who were long gone. And then I remember what someone recently said. My wife thought I was morbid, but as soon as he, the guy said it and I repeated it, I knew it was true. He said, well, I'll ask you the same questions. How many, how many of you knew your or know your grandparents? Raise your hand. But throw them up, throw them up. You knew them. How many of you know your great-grandparents? You knew them. How many knew your great-great-grandparents? All right, I see one person who must have been one years old when they met their great-great-grandparent. So it all went down the higher you went. I knew my grandmother when she was older and... Um, you know, she had Alzheimer's. But beyond my grandmother, didn't know my grandfather, grand, great-grandparents, no idea, certainly great-great-grandparents. And this is what the guy said. In exactly one generation, most of us will be completely forgotten off this planet. Not just gone, forgotten, except by the Lord. And for those who are just living for just the here and now, <laughs> listen, <laughs> you're aiming low. Come on, somebody. And you're going to hit your target. And so the Bible says you don't know what your life is. It, it literally says it's just a, it's a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow, especially in the span of eternity. I want you to keep that in mind. And so he says, it's, it's not smart of you then to presume on your life. Where are you going to be next year? What are you going to do in five years? What are you going to do this and do that? In other words, it's telling us to, to leave room for God because the truth is many of us don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring, much less next week, next month, or next year. Just turn on the news, right? Very few things are predictable in this life. People ask me all the time, am, am I going to be doing this or am I doing that? And oftentimes I'll say, yes, if the Lord is willing. And, and the reason I do that is because of this verse. It tells us not to presume on the future and to leave room for God to make changes if he chooses. Now, I'm not against planning. I've certainly made some plans. But in the making of your plans... Don't leave God out. The Bible tells a story of people, the people of Israel, who, who in one particular um, portion of their history, they began to presume on God. God was, the plan of God was to bring them into the promised land, and he told them to, 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 to take your people in, and they decided to send out 12 spies to go spy out the land first, and when they spied out the land, uh, two of them came back with a good report. It's got, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's fantastic. Let's take it. And the other 10 came back and said, no, 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 slow down. <laughs> there are giants in the land, and we are like little grasshoppers in their eyes. Let's not go. And they spread a bad report among the people, and the people decided they weren't going to go. Not only were they not going to go, they were going to stone Moses for bringing them out here and they were starting to talk about going back to Egypt and going back into slavery. Which only got God upset. And in that moment, God decided this, according to the scripture, he said, I'm going to take them all out. And Moses interceded on behalf of the, on behalf of the people and God, the scripture says, caused God to change his mind. He said, but this is what's going to happen. None of them, none of them, not one of them are going to enter in the promised land except for the two that came back with a good report and their family, Caleb and Joshua, and the rest are going to wander into in the wilderness for 40 years until they all die and, and their children I will bring into the promised land. And the 10 
who came back with the bad report, who spread that news among the people. The Bible says they, they caught a plague and they died instantly. Now, the people saw all this happening and they decide, <laughs> we're going to change our mind now. And we're going to go in and take what God has given to us. Numbers chapter 14, verse 39. When Moses reported this to all the Israelites, they mourned bitterly that you're not going in. And so early the next morning, they set out for the highest point in the hill country, saying, now we're ready to go up to the land the Lord promised. Surely we have sinned. But Moses said, why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Do not go up because the Lord is not with you. You will be defeated by your enemies for the Amalekites and the Canaanites will face you there. Because you have turned away from the Lord, he will not be with you. And you will fall by the sword. Nevertheless, in their, what's the word he uses? In their presumption, they went up toward the highest point in the hill country. And though neither Moses nor the ark of the Lord's covenant moved from the camp. In other words, I'm going with or without you, God. Then the Malachites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and attacked them and beat them down all the way to Hormah. They were slaughtered because they went against the word of the Lord in their lives. And they presumed that they were going to get the victory with or without God. Folks, listen, if we want to avoid a beatdown spiritually in our lives, if we don't want to presume on the future and go through life solely trusting in our feelings, we need to get to the point in our lives where we trust in God's instruments, which is the word of God, and that we will spend some time in prayer and praise to him because our worship is our warfare. Come on, somebody. And when the praises go up, listen to me, the presence of God comes down. And my Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty, and there is victory. And it's in those moments, in those moments when we will take the time to listen to what God says. In those moments... God will whisper his plans and his purposes for your life. But we have to take the time. Now, listen, I want you just for a few minutes to listen to this amazing testimony. Some of you might have seen it, but it's about a girl who had an encounter and what God did to change her life. Take a listen to this. I was in the LGBT community for 16 years. I was planning to have breast removal surgery. I had been taking testosterone for two years. And after I started transitioning, I'm still depressed, I'm still suicidal, I'm still struggling. I started looking for answers. This is not what I thought it was gonna be. I need something because something in my soul is missing. I was working out at the gym at this girl. She asked me to go to church with her. No, you know, God doesn't want somebody like me in the church. I don't belong there. I ended up going there and I encountered God for the first time ever. And all of a sudden God speaks to me and gives me a vision. There was a man and a woman on one side. And then on the other side, there was a man and a man and a woman and a woman. The man and the woman had babies. It was like glowing really bright. And it was like generations went down the line and then on the other side, with the man and the man and the woman and the woman, there was a red line under their feet, and it was black because you, you can't recreate life that way. And God speaks to me, and he says, I made man and woman so you could recreate and share the good news of my son, Jesus Christ. But the devil is wiping out entire family bloodlines and generations of people that I intended to be born will not exist for my glory. Wow, I've been really selfish my whole life. Everything in my life was based on my feelings. I was wrong. The next day, I went to church and I got set free of the demonic spirit of Jezebel. And I didn't know anything about demons. I didn't know there was a spirit behind homosexuality. I didn't know there was demons behind false identities, but there was. And I know now that James Harley, which was the name that I went by, false identity, that was never who I was. But the devil stole my identity from a very young age. And that's why I believed I was born that way. God loved me the entire time. Come on, come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Now, she said everything in her life was based on her feelings. Did you catch that? Yes, sir. 
and she was wrong. Not just wrong, but dead wrong. And it only left her, I'm going to say, busted and disgusted, living with pseudos, pseudo-personalities, false identities, and demons. Her words. That's her testimony. And demons. And it's only after she surrendered her life to Christ that those demonic strongholds were broken and they had to leave. Which brings me to my third point this morning. If we're going to aim high and fly over the enemy and fight and win, listen to me, we are going to have to take up God's weapons for our spiritual warfare. We're going to have to take them up. It's just like the children of Israel, God had promised the land to them, but they had to go in and remove the giants out of the land. But they weren't going to do it by themselves. They were going to do it with God's help. Come on, somebody. And the problem with them was they saw themselves, they saw themselves small in the eyes of the giants. But they didn't realize that even if they're facing a giant here on earth, nothing is bigger than our God. Come on. Nothing is bigger than our God. And so we have to take up God's weapons of warfare. Ephesians already told us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and ruling spirits in high places. So, 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 so this battle is primarily not fought with flesh and blood. This battle is fought in, in, our, in our prayer closet on our knees before the Lord. Come on, somebody. And in 2 Corinthians 10.4, we read it again. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to pulling down of strongholds. The, the NIV says it this way. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power, again, to demolish strongholds. And so what I'm talking about, I'm talking about Holy Spirit angelic power. I'm talking about the power that, that, that the scripture says that was enough to raise Jesus from the dead. At first he raised Lazarus from the dead in four days, and then Jesus came along and said, you know what, now I'm going to get up in three. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about life-giving power that God has given each and every one of us, the kind that says that, that there is more with us than with them. Now, what is it that activates that kind of power in our lives? What is it that activates, the, that, that causes God to step into our situations and to pull down those strongholds? I'm going to tell you what they are. You're going to do three things. You're going to admit, you're going to submit, and then you're going to resist. You're going to admit, you're going to submit, and then you're going to resist. Now let me explain. Psalms chapter 32 verse 1. It says blessed is the, is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. This is David speaking, whose sins are covered. And we, uh, 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 who, who sins are, co- whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin that the Lord does not count against them. And in whose spirit is no deceit. He says when I kept silent my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped and as, as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. And I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what happened? And you forgave the guilt of my sins. And so there's a spiritual uh, truth that when I'm silent about the things that I know I'm doing wrong, <laughs> you feel this heaviness against you. But the scripture says the moment I admit it, the moment I confessed it, the moment I released it to the Lord, that was when he got forgiveness, and that's when he started feeling the freedom. Folks, I, I would say that half the battle, or half, half the battle to winning these, these wars against these strongholds in your life is at first admitting that there is a problem. There are some people who just won't do that. And if you can't admit that there's a problem, you're going to walk around in that problem for as long as you are self-deluding yourself. You have to admit it. A few years ago, there was this huge billboard that went up everywhere. I used to see it everywhere. And this is what the billboard said. It said, Florida Council on Compulsive Gambling. What does that say? 188 
admit it. You remember seeing that? Anybody remember seeing that? It was everywhere. I used to see it. And then I thought about that. <laughs> Listen, they thought because gambling was such a problem in this, in this country or even in this, in, in this state, admitting it <laughs> is what, they, what you need to do to take the first step in order to get the help that you need. Now, that's not just true of a gambling situation, but it's also true of any stronghold situation. Eating disorders, as long as you say you don't have a problem and you're binging and you're purging, you are not going to get the help you need. If you've got a drug issue, you've got to admit it first. Alcohol, porn, sexual addictions, whatever it is, the first thing that you have to do is admit that there's a problem in order for you to take the, the next steps. So that you can, so these things can be broken and you can have healing in your life. You've got to first admit it. Now, once you do that, then you take the second and the third steps, which is in James chapter 4, verse 7. It says, submit yourselves to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit and resist. He says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded. And so submitting to God is the, first, is, the, is the next step. And submitting to God may mean, yes, you come forward, you ask for prayer. She finally said yes to going to church. And in going to church, she responded to an altar call. And in responding to the altar call, she realized that it was exposed in her that she had these pseudos, she had these demonic influences in her life that, that caused her to live a totally living, a, lie, a, a, a life that was a lie for her. But when she came and she came for prayer and she came for that, that's when the, the plan started to, be, uh, when she started to get deliverance. But submitting may also mean that I'm going to, to get involved with counseling and support groups to encourage you along the way or to help you identify what your triggers are so you don't continue to fall into the same bad patterns. Not every prayer is enough. There are people who come for prayer for me and they, and they, they treat it like a magic wand. Now let me tell you this. I've seen God miraculously deliver people instantly. But I've also seen probably more than that is he says, okay, now you've started the process. Here's the next step. And the next step is he points you to, to gifted people to get help, whether in counseling, so because there's, you didn't get into the situation overnight, and it probably is not going to be fixed overnight. Come on, somebody. Some, some things you might need to unpack or to let go of. Uh, and, 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 and to that point, it, it might be that God has asked you to stop doing things or stop hanging out with certain people because those people are constantly getting you in, into situations of trouble. Now, listen. You are not submitting or, or resisting effectively if all you're doing is rationalizing, justifying, or making excuses for bad behavior. It's not submission or humility when you do that. That's pride. And we all know what the Bible says about pride. Pride comes before a fall and a haughty heart before destruction. Listen to me this morning. God's heart for every single one of us is to aim high. Come on. To fly, to fight, and to win. But if you're going through this life living by your feelings, you are going to experience spiritual vertigo, let's call it that. because you're not trusting in the instruments that God has given you, and you're probably not spending enough time in prayer and praise, and you're not taking up the weapons of warfare that God has given you. And and if you go into spiritual vertigo, listen, (laughs) and you start living that life as opposed to the life that God wants for you, you might as well go off into the wild blue yonder because that's what's going to happen. Your life is going to take on a look and a meaning that when you were younger, you had no idea. Nobody, I don't, I don't know anybody who was three and seven and ten years old that says, when I grow up, I want to I wanna have an eating disorder. Or I want to be on crack cocaine. Or I want to be addicted to porn. 
I don't, I don't know anyone who starts out that way and says, that's what I want to be. But there are people all around us that, that have all sorts of addictions. What happened? Well, in her case, she never knew. But in many cases, they're raised in the church and they, and they think to themselves, you know what? I don't need the word of God in my life. I'll just do my own thing. And in, the, in departing from doing your own thing, now you're presuming on the future. And off you go into the wild view yonder and you're not trusting any longer in the instruments that God has given you to make it through this life. God wants to bless you. He wants you to have a full life. I had some friends who sent me a text the other day. And, and the text was, are you familiar with Deuteronomy 28? Uh, and, and why, if it is true, why aren't these things happening? And I was familiar with Deuteronomy 28 because I used to go into my prayer closet every morning 20, 30 years ago and pray Deuteronomy 28. And this is Deuteronomy 28, basically in a nutshell. If you will listen to what I'm telling you to do, you will be, you will be the head and not the tail. You'll be blessed going and coming. The enemies who rise up against you one way will flee from you seven ways. You will be the, you will be the lender and not the borrower. If you will do what I say, it's blessings and curses. But he says, if you don't do the things that I'm telling you to do, your life will be the opposite. You will be the tail and not the head. You will be cursed in everything you do and all these things. And, I, and I'm going down this list. And as I'm going down this list, I said to myself, oh my God. I'm blessed. And I'm not blessed because I'm anything special. I'm blessed because by God's grace, I've tried to listen to the instruments from a young age when he says, young people, give me your youth. There's so many says, well, I'll do that when I'm older. I'll follow the Lord when I'm older. You are presuming on the future. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring. Your life is just a mist. Today, if you hear his voice, he says, do not harden your heart. The time to give your life to Jesus is today. And don't be like the foolish Israelites who decided they didn't like what the Word of God said or what they saw because they were trusting in what they saw over what God said and decided we ain't doing that. And then when they saw the consequences come down, then they said, oh, then, okay, we'll go ahead and do it, but it was too late. And they started presuming on the future without the blessings of the Lord in their lives. God's got a plan. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. But he says, but you must call on me and call on me when you call on me you'll call on me with all your heart I mean I will listen to you when you call on me with all your heart listen to this last scripture the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5 7 it says for we live by faith and not by sight folks that is a good one to memorize because if you're walking by just what you see and feel that's why people get into trouble today Pastor Rick you don't understand it, 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 it felt it all felt so right and it went so wrong how'd you end up with him well we can look at him He's so good looking. Look at him. He's tall, dark, and handsome. Does he love Jesus? 
Does she love the Lord? Because she's fine, Pastor Rick. Look at her. And you're not applying the standard of God's word to the decisions that you're making. And off you go into the wild blue yonder. Listen. Jesus said, what does it matter if you gain the whole world and in the end lose your soul? For what can a man or woman give in exchange for their soul? If all you're living for, again, you've heard me say this before, is the here and now and your feelings and your fleshly desires, you have aimed low and you will hit your target. And in hitting your target, your life is going to run into the ground because the Bible says your life is just a mist. It's here today and gone tomorrow. And so Jesus came along and he's the only one that's declaring I know the way for eternal life. Because he declares to the world every single one of us has a spirit inside of you that will live forever somewhere. This world might forget you in one generation, but God will never forget you. And he declares, for I so love you. This world has messed up. Adam, everyone's forefathers, blew it for everybody. But the scripture says, with the last Adam, and he brought salvation for everybody. It doesn't say the second Adam or the next Adam, as if there's going to be another Adam. Adam ushered in the human race, and we are all born unto that sinful nature. But Jesus ushered in our spiritual race. Come on, somebody. And to which he declared, if you want to see the Father, you must be born again. And the way you get born again is not by works of righteousness. It's by acknowledging that every single one of us have sinned. We've all fallen short of the, of the glory and the standard of God. And what we all deserve is death. But the free gift of God is what? Eternal life for those who put their faith in him. You will live forever somewhere. No, your body is going to fall to the ground, ashes to ashes and dust to dust, but your life-given spirit, the one that God breathed inside of you, the person that's inside of you, this outside shell is aging and will eventually fall to the ground, but your inside, that, that real person is going to live forever somewhere. It's either going to live forever eternally in the presence of the Father or eternally separated from Him, which is the second death that the Bible talks about. And he leaves it entirely up to you. Are you going to go through this life trusting in your own instruments? And sure, for a while it might go right. But what happens when the storm comes? The ICMs, what do they call it? Or the cloud covers? Or darkness falls? Or when the day of evil comes? And you feel disoriented? Are you going to flip the plane or are you going to stay on course this is what my pilot I, there, there, there's, remember that, that old bumper sticker that said Jesus is my co-pilot I only have one problem with that Jesus is not my co-pilot he's my pilot I, 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 I'm going to let him fly the plane I'll be his co-pilot Jesus, what do you want me to do now? I think he's better at it than I am. I'm going to let Jesus pilot my plane. And to pilot my plane, he says, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. He says, you literally mean the world to him. I, I honestly believe that if there was only one person left on this planet, Jesus would still come to die to give his life in sacrifice so that you and I might be born again and, and be with him forever. And he says it's a choice. He leaves it to you. And it's not that hard. It's just like 
admitting the reality of what things what is going on in this life. Every single one of us have fallen short. Every single one of us need God's grace. We all need God's forgiveness. None of us are perfect. No one does it right all the time. I don't know anyone that has. Jesus was the only one that declared perfect on this planet. That's why he was the perfect sacrifice to pay for my sins and your sins and the sins of the world. And all he asks is that we admit it, submit, and then resist. And that resist could take on many forms. Prayer, counseling, do whatever. This is what I would say. Do whatever you have to do to get the devil off of you. I'm not living with the devil. There's no peace with the devil. I'm going to do whatever I have to do. Come prepare once. Come prepare ten times. Lord, counsel them to, get, to, to deal with this issue. I'm, I'm going to do that too. Whatever the Lord says, whatever my pilot says, because whom the Son says free, is free indeed. And God called us to be free people, not bound up by sin or strongholds. You might be out there saying, well, Pastor Rick, there really isn't it. There's not a devil. I don't know what to tell you. You'll meet him one day. He'll <laughs> you know, come manifest one day. I don't know how to convince people. <laughs> They're demonic strongholds. And we are at war. And the sooner you realize that, the better off you'll be in preparing for what's going on. Not just for you, but for your family, for your children, for your grandchildren. Because for some of you, you're the only people praying for those people, your kids and your grandkids. They're lost. Keep praying. Keep believing. Keep declaring God's goodness over their lives. But it all starts with first you saying, I want Jesus in my life. And then from that moment on, <laughs> things change. No, Jesus, I don't want you just as my co-pilot. Take over. I'm, I'm going to get out of the pilot's chair. I, I, I sit over here. Just tell me what to do. Because I know that come hell or high water with Jesus in the boat with me, in the, in the aircraft with me, I'm going to make it through. So we come to a close. If you've not yet accepted that Jesus, that's the Jesus of the Bible. He tells us the truth about our situation. As he was walking on this earth, he declared to some guys, he says, unless you believe that I am he, he says, you will die in your sins. And what was he saying? Unless you believe that he is the one that God sent, the Messiah, the sacrificial lamb, that one that would be sacrificed for the sins of the world, there is no other way to salvation. He, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Unless you believe that I'm he, says, you will die in your sins. And in dying in your sins, you will get just what you deserve. And no one deserves heaven. based on your life because no one does right all the time Jesus is not an option he's a necessity he's some people say people, people use Jesus he's, he's just a crutch he's your crutch if you if in talking to me all you think is that Jesus is my crutch I have, I have failed in communicating what Jesus is to me He's not my crutch. He's, he's my iron lung. He's the air I breathe. I cannot make it without him. Do you understand? Not a crutch. He's everything. And until he becomes everything to you, it might be an anchor's away into the wild blue yonder. I said enough. If that's you today, today if you hear his voice, he says, don't harden your heart. 
and you would like to say yes to Jesus, at least in your life, and start that journey, the moment you do, it says you become born again, and that life with Christ begins here on this earth, and you step out of the pilot seat, take over, Lord. That's you today. It'd be my privilege and my honor just to lead you in a prayer of commitment to him. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and those who are watching online, you do the same. Say something like this from your heart, all of your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I acknowledge today that I have sinned. I've blown it in many ways. And while you're here, don't be flipped about that statement. You know the areas that you've messed up in. Confess that to him. Just confess it to him while, while you make an altar in your heart to him. Father, forgive me for speaking harshly to my husband or my wife. Forgive me for this addictive behavior that I am currently experiencing. Forgive me, Lord, for, for the many things. I ask you to cleanse me. It says, draw near to me. He says, and I'll draw near to you. Wash your hands. And don't be double-minded. Give him all of your heart. I acknowledge that I've sinned greatly. And I ask you to forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross 2,000 years ago to pay for every single one of my sins. Thank you that three days later you rose from the grave with this promise that because you live, we shall live as well. Lord, I'm not living any longer just for the here and now. I'm putting my complete trust in you for my salvation. And help me today, Father, to start walking by faith and not by sight and putting my trust completely in the instruments you've given me to combat the enemy of this world. Not only do I want to be saved by you, but I want to be used by you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and with your power. In Jesus' name, I pray. And we all said, Amen and Amen. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.